So I'll uh, respond to some questions. So the question asks about um, noticing when sitting that there's a kind of holding of the body by the mind. The mind is subtly holding the natural vital movements of the body still as if it wants as if it wants utter stillness and rest. Surprising the mind is actually holding the body down like one might steady a vibrating plate. It seems to be a subtle assumption that total stillness is good, but I'm starting to question that. Perhaps a bit of vital motion, a subtle vibration is also good. Qigong highlights the health of this subtle energy. I wonder if there's some unwillingness to come back into movement, back into energy, uh, creation and action. Mm. Somebody also asks about involuntary movements in practice, like you suddenly get some sort of twitch or shift. (laughs) Okay. So this relationship between body and mind and uh, normally while we're awake anyway mind by default tends to um, hold the body um, social social contact is a certain gripping by default a certain holding yourself together the action uh, that uh, uh, holding your life together you know that often done psychologically there's all sorts of uh, you know difficult things to have to handle uh, problems dilemmas anomalies unresolved things sometimes people are just really trying to hold it hold their life together you know stop getting too uh, blown away by it all so this can be a gripping and the body feels that yeah. and also mind doesn't necessarily trust the body because the body does it can do it involuntary things <laughs> like involuntary rushes in energies and so forth so we tend to have a you know the, the image of the human being is a person living in the head riding the body as one would a horse or a donkey and uh, <laughs> because the body is a wild thing a wild thing and the head is a socialized thing socially tidied up uh, preened uh, made up thing the face particularly so and the personality is a constructed phenomenon to be at the interface between what's happening in the heart which may not be socially acceptable or relevant or appropriate personality acts as a kind of a, a mask or a, that, that moderates what aspects of emotion feeling uh, manifest that also has an effect on the body you know, whatever affects whatever the jitta does affects the body so there can be a default holding it's not unusual mm. So we're trying to, you know, like with Qigong and perhaps ideally with breathing in and out, 
want to get back to allowing or kind of the body to have its vitality and its subtle movement without the mind feeling nervous about it or contracted about it or feeling it has to do it or make it happen or control it just a sense of bodily energy moving through in a in an agreeable smooth and calm way and that's that's the that's the process sometimes it takes a while uh, people sometimes mention this about anapanasati they just feel so tense when they do mindfulness of breathing because the default of holding is not they don't have much control over it. it's a reflex and so that that gripping and particularly when you meditate because when you meditate the observer comes in the observer is looking at the breathing and all that <laughs> uh, scrutiny you know, gives rise to tension we become self-conscious and the observer can be highly critical and uh, the observer can be some uh, mental attitudes and mental energies that are um, um, they want things to be straight straight lines and clear and reasonable so the, the observer exerts a subtle influence on the observed um, this is why my suggestion by and large is to to not observe <laughs> but to feel so imagine the mind is more like a set hand uh, like a warm hand and you can let the breathing run over your hand rather like water or a thread you don't have to witness it you don't have to get it right you don't have to analyze you have to feel feel the breathing running through your body try to get as, as relaxed as possible with that um, this can be often um, the sign of, of letting go at the end of the exhalation that release there can also be a, like, I don't trust that because it's so open as it can be a bit of a grip in the lower belly so residual that one barely notices that until you, you know until you have actually let your breathing dissolve completely and the energy moves through the lower body even into the legs you know the energy moves down there and think, well that that was letting go uh, so the observer often has a you know background plan of the breathing it's in out up down up down beginning ending beginning ending and try to maintain mindfulness it's it's a reasonable idea it's not it's not a wrong idea it's just that any idea when you place it on living vital reality <laughs> the idea it's like you're trying to put a um i'm saying well the image i sometimes use it's like trying to ride an elephant as if it's a taxi <laughs> right it's not a taxi it's an elephant that means it's kind of lumbering along and it's rolling and smooth but i want it to be nice and straight and go at a steady speed i don't even realize that but the observer likes things clear and 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 and, and decisive and sometimes breathing is irregular and it moves through your body and body can move really 
And so somehow, you know, one's got to learn to, to uh, you know, have that softly, softly approach. Uh, uh, I don't necessarily even recommend practicing mindfulness of breathing too full on until one has established a much more trusting or healthy relationship to body. That's why it's Qigong, for example, is uh, you know it's, it's a particular way in which you can allow that you can sit and stand and feel body energy moving through, and it's very safe, nice, subtle, not violent. You know, and so you get to learn to sense the body is an energetic process, <coughs> and, and just learn from it. Um, so the mental attitude is significant. Um, total stillness, yeah, yeah, nothing is really still. Well, the only thing that's still is, is, is the knowing, the knowingness. And that can be still. But uh, anything that's perceived, experienced, is has some sort of fluctuation, movement, vibration in it, vibrancy in it. Mm. But one can be like uh, still with that, just imagining the, you know, crude image, perhaps a surfer on a surfboard. He's on the wave, she's on the wave, and yet poised. Mm. So there can be a, a poise of balance. Um, so we're not kind of getting sort of rigidifying experience and then there's a stillness of heart stillness is not experienced in the body until it's dead Uh, stillness can be experienced in the heart as an emotional you know lack of uh, uh, lack of agitation the heart is open and peaceful. It's, it's, it's found the, a relationship where it can trust, be open. And that can be found in the heart, but it's very much more in accordance with the knowingness rather than the phenomenon. And uh, for sure, our, the, in, the, the default system of clinging, one of its motivations is to find control, security, you know, and that can, again, turn into meditation, trying to make everything quiet and steady and still, um, rather than be, be, be heart, still in the heart about the, the movement of experience. Don't let the heart run ahead or run behind or, or fight with it. And the heart can be still, emotionally still. When there are subtle movements in the body, this may be, um, it's got, I think there's called Kriya or something, you know, these, these involuntary twitches. Um, uh, my suggestion is that one needs to firm up mindfulness, particularly a, a, around the whole body and around the spinal axis. I don't just mean you know something, but the, the sense of the upright, Axis uh, and, and firm the connection to the ground, and also there can be a, a, a 
uh, kind of a certain pleasure in just letting the body kick around or feeling you're releasing things, you know, like I'm just releasing, releasing, releasing. Um, uh, I've seen people, you know, be with this phenomenon for years and releasing, 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 and actually they're not releasing. <laughs> they're energetic, which is quite pleasing, you know, but the, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't actually settle, and so you want to maybe you know either do walking, standing. Standing is a good meditation. You can get some sense of the still if you're looking for stillness. Stand. And there can be pretty still in standing, but then you, with standing you will, by the fact of standing, be grounded in your feet. You know, you stand. You have to stay grounded, otherwise you fall over. So the body will be sensible when you stand up. <laughs> it knows this is not the time to start twitching. <laughs> so feeling the soles of your feet, standings, feeling the soles of your feet, opening the palms of your hands, the energy can subtly move out, but you don't get this, you shouldn't get this shaky stuff. So a person has been practicing Anapanasati for some time would like to hear my thoughts on the third tetrad which suggests that, I think, having calmed mental formations, thinking, so the person understands mental formations to be thinking, we acknowledge, gladden, concentrate and then liberate the mind. So for those of you who are not so familiar with it, the Anapanasati Sutta has a series of fairly cryptic uh, instructions and there are 16 of these and because the first four seem to deal with bodily phenomenon and the second four deal with the um, mental activations, mental activities, Jitta Sankara and the third four deal with Jitta and the fourth deal with insight. or you know, So we can see these as really like, um, it's quite an interesting pattern that you see replicated in the suttas. You have three which are about jitta um, vimutti, that is clarifying, easing, making the jitta feel bright. And you have one which is the panya, which is discerning. And these four work together. So the fourth tetrad is about the witnessing qualities, witnessing impermanence. So that can be in relationship to body, or relationship to mental formations, or relationship to mind. Witnessing impermanence, becoming dispassionate. So this is the wisdom aspect that we haven't really talked about a lot. In particular, reviewing, you know, and so Anapanasati, you've got three clusters of teachings about steadying, calming, easing up, really unwrapping citta, and one set of instructions on reviewing all these processes as, you know, as um, changeable, variable, non-self, with dispassion and so forth. So, um, the, so these are called the four tetrads. So, first tetrad deals with uh, experiencing breathing, 
in terms of body. Just like the four Satipatthana, you've got three which deal with you know body, feeling, chitta, and then the fourth one deals with things like hindrances and enlightenment factors. Now, they're not entirely sequential. I mean, you can deal with uh, hindrances in the bodily aspect, hindrances in the sense of feeling, hindrances in the sense of how it affects the mind. So, you know, one, the wisdom aspect works in conjunction with the calming aspects. This is so, you know. Now your first tetrad is dealing with body, kaya. For a start, it doesn't mention particular point in your body so one piece of, of frequent teaching to focus on the nostrils is not found in in the suttas so i don't regard that as essential um, but it does say um, you know being with the rhythm of breathing and then experiencing thoroughly sensitive to the entire body as you breathe in and out so it's a whole body breathing it's not not a narrow point the whole body breathing, um, um, and, and as as that that comes along, the more you handle breathing, you recognise breathing can be experienced as a series of sensations. Yeah, but also you can experience it as a flowing energy. So when you breathe in, you're getting brighter, vitalised. Breathing out, it's cooling and diffusive. This is a very d- distinctive difference between breathing in and breathing out the energy of it sensations are not so different but the energies are very distinctly different so when one tunes into that energy then this then soothes the, what's called the kaya sankara the kaya sankara is the body's energy system that does the breathing breathing is involuntary how do we breathe the body seems to know what to do. It can do it while we're asleep. We don't have to focus on it at all. And how does it do that? It, it, it recognises where the, the breathing is at. It recognises its energetic needs. So there's an energetic need to clean, to release. So the body is sensitive to that and releases. There's a need to, in, to bring energy in that the body inhales. Yeah. So... It is moderating, so the body's intelligence is is operating energies. It's, it's sensitive to its energetic needs, and it uses energy to draw to activate the muscles, right? To draw breathing in. Breathing itself has got an energy to it. So, if we recognise the word pana, in anapanasati is the same word as prana, in pranayama, and so. The, the Indian tradition and the Chinese traditions both recognize breathing is not just air, it's basically a life force, a vitality force. So when you, con- when you contemplate that and you tune into that, you get a sense of the energy as it, as it steadies and you soothe it, gives rise to this refreshing piti quality, which is a, the vitality of the subtle vitality begins to suffuse the body and, and the mind the mind picks it up, it feels happy this is the second tetrad, then let's say what is this, thoroughly thoroughly sensitive to pati thoroughly sensitive to thoroughly feeling 
these these qualities of mental formation. The mental formation is this. Um, it's not not a particularly great word. Uh, people struggle trying to translate sankara. It's the um, that which gives form to the mind. So the mind can either be boundless and vast, or it could be narrow and tight. It could be driving and sharp. It could be flailing and floppy. You know, you, if you contemplate the shape of your mind, <laughs> it could be ragged and spinning. It could be stagnant and stale. It could be sharp like a needle. It could be heavy like a hammer. It could be spacious like a sunset. You know, so you, there's energy there. The mind, particularly as you meditate and you can sense the encouragement of the mind to open. Oh, it's much wider and more spacious now. So the mind has a subtle energetic form to it. You know, so it's Jitta Sankara. And that's, uh, along with that, you know, what makes it that way is it picks up perceptions. Because if you pick up a perception of trust, for example, I can trust that person, your mind tends to open a little bit. If you pick up the perception, I don't trust that person, your mind tends to close. You, know, you can feel yourself tightening up, getting a bit more edgy. You, know, you see your best friend, your mind, op- heart opens up. Sometimes it's better here to translate jitter as heart. You see your best friend, your heart opens up. You, know, you see someone you're suspicious of, your heart closes down. So it has a subtle form. And these are evidenced in the language you use. We talk about narrow-minded, opening my heart. So you see this my heart has an energetic shape to it. And it's generated through perceptions. Right? Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. And none of these perceptions are not just uh, visual, but psychological. I'm in a hurry. I've already got to get things done. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. What shape does your mind take then? Scrambled, probably. <laughs> Scrambled and unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time in the world to allow breathing to move through me. What shape does your mind take then? Spacious, easy, comfortable. Mm. So if we get the right kind of attunement, then the, the, the perceptions that arise are rather conducive to a comfortable shape, comfortable energy. Mental energy is not ragged, not driven, but soft, smooth, steady, comfortable, uplifted, and the mind has a nice you know, shape to it. <laughs> if you don't like shape, call it texture. You know, you know when your emotional textures are uh, sharp and shrill and irritable, and when they're negligent and disinterested and fed up, then dull textures. Here the texture of the chitta is you know, bright. You know, so you're thoroughly sensitive to that and we feel at ease. Uh, so this is the Chitta Sankara. It's not actually thinking. Thinking is called Vajji Sankara, the energy of forming concepts. So this is Chitta Sankara doesn't refer to thoughts. It refers to perceptions, such as perceptions of feeling spacious, feeling at ease, That's a nice perception. Uh, Feeling fresh. That's a nice perception. Feeling 
clean that's a happy perception so you're sensitive to these now then they're calming this because these can also one can get rather related and this is one of the problems that or difficulties that meditation masters point to is when the jitta opens it opens to hurriedly the pity the mind sort of gets elated and and loses its moorings so we spin out there can be paranormal phenomena we see lights hear voices or something or the other the mind gets giddy and overexcited and some some minds are like that they're passionate rush out so you just got to you know soothe it and steady it and this is one of the say a drawback that's uh, can be can actually cause uh, damage uh, psychological damage um, if it's anyway so you're calming that and then as the sankara's chitta sankara is calmer softer then one of the this isn't just because to make us feel better though that's certainly great but there's so little act, less activity in the mind you know the, the knowingness of the mind the awareness of the mind becomes clearer you can you can experience it more thoroughly because it's not all this stuff going on Uh, and so the the, the the jitta itself can it be more fully sensed as a sort of something that's when I say knowing it's not thoughtful it's like a silence a listening silence it's like a space it's like um, uh, you know it's difficult <laughs> to say but it's not it's not that, that movement it's not an emotion, but it's not it's not stagnant either. And so then, this is the third tetrad. Oh. And then so then the tetrad says, well, then gladdening the chitta means a sense of appreciating. A be pamoja young, pamoja gladden to assert, to connect to the word mudita to appreciate to enjoy just to really enjoy <laughs> you know meditation is supposed to be enjoyable how about that then <laughs> and, to, and to, so the Buddha says you shouldn't fear this happiness there's a certain, and it's a gladdening and satisfying there's not a sense of trying to get somewhere and make it happen. The mind is much more still and steadying it, steadying it. And liberating it refers to liberating it from these um, trace tendencies of selfhood and uh, clinging and so forth. And, you know, one can only sketch this in, in perhaps in abstract terms because this is certainly a very profound uh, practice mm. and this is what's called citta citta visuddhi cleansing the citta or citta vimutti liberating the citta from these adventitious defilements these processes can't be rushed and certainly one is
encourage you even to get a kind of a glimpse of, of some of that. Yeah. That through all the uh, energies and, and movements and ups and downs, but there's a, so there's a space, a knowingness that you can rest in. And this is jitta. Jitta when it's it's cleaned, unbound. Homecoming. Mm. Restful. Mm. And uh, you know, we can do quite a lot of work in meditation and there's even a subtle craft and you know, with um, some understanding we try to make our, our work of meditation into the work of a craftsman rather than some desperate job I've got to do or management process but taking loving one's craft, enjoying one's craft, patiently doing one's one's business in steadying and comforting and satisfying and you know firming up and then okay now just let's just step back and admire and so there might be more equanimity I think you're noticing one of the papers here, the simile of the goldsmith. I hope I put it there. Um, if you, you know, sometimes you have to fan it, and sometimes you have to skim it, sprinkle water on it, and then sometimes you just step back and look at it. Mm. You know, someone said. I do understand the dangers, potential shortcomings of jhanas. Can you review the potential value of jhanic experiences in regard to training the jitta? Yeah. Well, once again, you know that the, the um, potential shortcomings are losing balance. One gets overexcited. Um, the subtle phenomena that can arise capture the jitta. And it's almost like sorcery, you know. Yeah. And the way that some of the forest ajans talked about it, it's almost like they, these are sh- these shamans, sorcerers. And when they're going to the realm of the jitta, they're entering the realm where, you know, strange forces, spirits can occur. You know. Not to be too spooky about it. Um, um, whether these are, you know, these are, we, we'd be more comfortable saying psychological energies, but they, they would say, oh, you know, jitters. Uh, it needs to be, uh, so that sometimes they'd say, don't meditate, you know, because you know, you know, your jitter's too wild and it's too dangerous. You should withdraw and just, you know, just do good conduct and steady and, you know, work on that level. Because um, you know, be in danger. Um, yeah, people do go a little bit deluded, or sometimes mildly crazy. Honestly, uh, because we don't know what's under the lid, you know. And often this this level of experience is so uncharted in daily life that you open up and there's a can of stuff you don't know what is this <laughs> and it can be pretty exciting it could be frightening it's a bit like taking LSD you know um, can be doesn't have to be but can be um, 
And I think even when it's not of that nature, I mean, one of the famous Ajahn's, Ajahn Tate, who was one of Ajahn Mun's disciples, uh, he'd always, when he had been meditated, his mind was so kind of bright, he'd go into this kind of very blissful state. And Ajahn Mun realised, you know, he's going to get just, he's going to just get stuck there. I mean, you think, well, why not? <laughs> but Ajahn Mun realised he had the potential for Nibbana. Yeah. And so he had to train him to, to get grounded. It took 12 years of, of Ajahn Mun working on him to, to get his mind to behave, stop. Because the, the drama loka is so, so blissful, the mind just goes through it like a, like a magnet. So you had to train him to just do things like hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, you know, really grounding stuff to to counteract the chitta's incredible buoyancy and ebullience. Yeah. And uh, if you look at a photograph of Ajahn Tate, he's just such a sweet looking person. You can see how this person is, is a deva. <laughs> All right. He radiates it. Very gentle, so you just that was his disposition, and he then but uh, had to work against it. Ajahn Mahabur was much more a fighter, a warrior, yeah, so Ajahn Man had to train him too. And he, uh, yeah, Ajahn Mahabur could do this incredible jhana stuff pretty quick, going to samadhi pretty quick. And Ajahn Man, just, the way he got him out of it, he just just poo-pooed it, said, ah, oh, well, you know, all that getting, big deal, it's just like getting, you know, just stuck in meditation, just like getting a bit of meat stuck between your teeth, so what? <laughs> so he kind of, he, he poured scorn on it, and so, and so Ajahn Mahabur said, if it hadn't been my teacher, I'd have killed him, because <laughs> he was so intoxicated with this power of samadhi, yeah. but because he respected his teaching, okay, and the teacher said, look, go back to knowing, investigate, investigate, investigate. So when I talked about Ajahn Mahabur doing these 10-hour sessions, he wasn't doing jhana. He was doing radical investigation to the roots of phenomena and cutting away, in his terms, he was a kind of warrior mentality, the, the uh, jitters, uh, attraction, reactions to, to feeling, a mental feeling and even... Yeah, you just keep. What's that? Yeah, stop, stop. Yeah, check it, check it, check it. Now the benefits. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's a whole library of all these, you know, in in the grapevine of all these experiences people have. Yeah, and experiences of floating through the air and disintegrating and <laughs> all kinds of stuff going on in the kind of grapevine of the forest tradition <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. the benefits um, is you know learning to to handle pleasure you know so with so certainly if, if you to train oneself to eliminate to get past hindrances is a that's on the path you know to jhana so you don't even get into jhana 
but just learning to to get past the hindrances and and uproot or disengage them. Jhana doesn't actually uproot the hindrances, but it disengages them, knocks them out. And you get a sense then of, oh, this is what it could be like. You know, the mind doesn't have to be that continually moaning thing going on, <laughs> whittling and moaning and mumbling. Wow, this is, this is, you know, you get a sense of what it could be like. So there's that sense of encouragement. Uh, it also nourishes the chitta because we're feeding on some rather agreeable energy. And you do begin to see the sense realm is not that great, really, compared with this. If you're looking for pleasant happiness, this is where to go. Sense realm is like rag and bone shop, you know, compared with that. <laughs> so it definitely, getting a touch of that, you begin to lose interest in sens- sensuality. And, uh, just, it's kind of not very good, really, coarse. And so this is these are, these are the benefits of it in training, and it does require considerable agility to to get past the hindrances, and then also to, to be able to handle pleasure without. So the first thing is to be able to handle pain and dukkha. The second level is to be able to handle pleasure, so we're not, ooh, you know, blown away by it, but able to steady it and calm it. And then you've really. Yeah, really got some skill in that, in doing that. So move on. Three things that suck energy from the jitta, sensuality, becoming and ignorance. Could you say more about ignorance in this quali- in this context? Well <laughs> Well ignorance kind of supports the other two. Mm-hmm. that uh, an uninstructed, untrained person, uh, their jitta always moves towards, if I'm going to get some, some agreeable sense, I'm going to go towards sensuality. If I want to make myself firm and secure, I'm going to go into becoming something. I'm going to get a job and a house and a car and a decent wages and so forth, and I'll get a position, then I'll feel secure. Yeah. Or I'll become one of these, I'll have a position. Yeah, or these are the obvious examples of wish to become something, the interesting to become. And so ignorance, ignorance backs that up. Says, "Oh yes, you will. Oh yes, you you will." And of course, you don't. <laughs> but you think, well, maybe I didn't try hard enough. Because <laughs> it, you know, and, and so you know, people don't get the point. They don't really get it. That no matter how much sense contact you get, you, it doesn't satisfy. You, it's like you because it, it just part, jitter doesn't feed on sense, senses. It can't. It feeds on perceptions and energies, and uh, perceptions that arise from sense contact are pretty fleeting. So it just can't. It can't satisfy. So we think, well, maybe I didn't get enough. I'll get some more. You know? Or maybe I'll try another thing. No. And ignorance keeps the myth going that this is where you're going to get it. <laughs> and the becoming. Uh, if only I could settle down and get a reason this, that and the other, then I'd be okay. If I became a monk, get away from the world, then I'd be nice and steady and stable in a comfortable little monastery and nobody bother me. <laughs> Dream 
on. <laughs> it doesn't work like that because the only one who bothers you is you, really. <laughs> you can't get away from that by, by running or putting a robe on your back. You can't get away from your mind and that's the one that bothers you. <laughs> that's the one that's unstable and insecure and it doesn't find can't find security in any position whatsoever. But ignorance, you know, oh, well, think, well, maybe if I did this, then the other. So he's still looking for it. Ignorance, of course, is a, is a huge <laughs> topic because, um, you know, the other ways we can consider that, seeing, trying to see permanence in things that aren't permanent. You know. Yeah. Imagining permanence in things that aren't permanent. Yeah. Imagining satisfaction in things that aren't satisfactory. Imagining selfhood, identity in things that aren't can't be done. These are called the vipalasas, and distortions. They're aspects of ignorance. Imagining beauty where it isn't there, real beauty. So these are forms of it. Someone asked about my roots, roots of the mind or roots of the psychology seem related to a few deep fears that are more primal than mere memories of events. They seem to be themes that reoccur in multiple sankharas, multiple, I guess, psychological um, attitudes, um, multiple things we do, you know, people have their particular behaviour patterns, so sankharas can mean, you know, well, uh, I take up a hobby, or I get very busy, or I uh, go, you know, we we feel ourselves compulsively acting in certain ways to deflect some stress or some suffering, or some nervousness or some fear. We seek comfort zones, we seek to do things, we seek to please people, or be, or find someone to, you know, so this this kind of mind runs out to something, and these programs develop sankharas, strategies, defense strategies, deflection strategies, um, yeah, avoidance strategies. So these are related to a few deep fears. Um, yeah, I could imagine so. Um, there's a fear uh, of loss. Well, as a kind of fear of emptiness, fear of silence, fear of a loss of being somebody. Um, fear of aloneness. Well, these perhaps not even words, but can measure it, but there's a sense of, you know, not safe. Uh, because in many ways we are not safe. Threatening, vulnerable world. Uh, so we have to both relate to that and uh, find places where we do feel more comfortable and secure in a, in our embodiment, not by moving away, but by firmly the body is a, is a, is a safety place. You know, you know, I mean, it's also a target, but internally, you know, we you have this. You're breathing in, you're breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out doesn't leave you. 
the energy doesn't leave you. And you start letting the mind rest in something that's given rather than earned. Given rather than deserved. There's a givenness to embodiment. So the resting, allowing a sense of energy is given, warmth is given, vitality is given, you can't create it. And beginning to touch into what are the givens. And then, oh yeah, then you get a sense of there is a certain benevolence um, in our life that we can that we didn't create, that we didn't make happen, that we didn't have to work for or be good for. You're given consciousness. Chitta is a given. Awareness is a given. Breathing in and out is given. And then then we're open to it. And this is a place where you find some relief from fear. As the Buddha commented, without restraint, without renunciation, without the enlightenment factors, I see no end to fear for living beings. Insecurity, anxiety. If there isn't restraint and senses, if there isn't renunciation, if the enlightenment factors are not fulfilled, there is a a certain nervous anxiety. Only in the fruition of the enlightenment factors is the tendency to fear relieved. Otherwise, there's always something we can lose. Something can be taken away from us. In the release of chitta, there's nothing that can be taken away. There's nothing to lose. So this is, you know, this is where this kind of theistic language, I think this is why people have God, you know, whatever that expression brings up for you certainly you know coming from a judeo-christian background it wasn't profoundly religious but you can't live in the society without getting some sense of that uh, what's that about mm-hmm. you know the hope that something bigger than me is going to look after me and this what is allah book jehovah Quan Yin will do <laughs> I'm not fussy, just somebody look after me. <laughs> Male, female, or neutral, just help. <laughs> so, Brahman, I'll have Brahman. <laughs> help, just give, look after me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the, the Buddha said, well, you know, you can understand that instinct because it's scary out here. But, <laughs> you know, you know, if you like, if you want to play with that idea that God is within, you know, it's the enlightenment factors of the Buddhist God. <laughs> they open up, they will look after you. Because <laughs> they, they, they eradicate the notion of a separate self and there's nothing to lose. Mm. So let's, uh, thank you very much. I'll take a pause now.